Well, good morning. It's nice to see people on both sides today. Last week, it was just this side. There was Sue Ellen was the only person on that side, and she was she was guarding the door. And I I, I told her I apologized that I was uh, giving her a hard time about guarding the door. She was doing a great job there. So, anyway, so so I've labeled this section. This is we're finally going to end up the, this uh, <clears throat> this segment of the scripture. Uh, this is the third part of um, of the segment here, and I call this section "Freed from Sin and Bond Slaved Bond Slaves to God." And if you notice, almost in every verse in this section, Paul is contrasting between slavery and um, uh, you're slave to something, but you're you're. Uh, oh, see, I'm getting myself confused here. Uh, you're, you're, you're in slavery versus freedom is kind of the contrast. And actually that contrast is before you're saved and after you're saved. And he, he points that out in many ways. Hopefully we'll see that as we go through this again here. So let's, so I decided to kind of go back and do one last kind of overview of chapter six. Uh, Mike will probably do another overview maybe. We'll get, you know, he has one last verse to cover next week. So, um, so here's, I've done this before. So this is from Macaulay. His, the general outline is from Macaulay. <clears throat> he labels the first ten verses in chapter six, inf- you know, it's information, right? It's information about who the believer is in Jesus Christ. And just one of the many tremendous verses is, this, is 6 6 in, um, in Romans there, knowing this. So we're to know this, knowing this. That our old self, or better, our old man, was crucified with him, put to death on the cross, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, or better, put offline, put in idle, so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. And the thrust of what Paul's saying in, in good part of this, in most of Romans, is you've been freed from sin. You were slaves to sin, but you've now been freed from sin. So now we go to the middle part. And the middle part is an exhortation. Paul's going to tell us things that we can do based upon those first ten verses. And the key verse there certainly is Romans 6.11. Even so, consider, or I like reckon, reckon yourselves to be dead, dead to sin, dead to the sin nature, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So we have information. We've been exhorted to count upon the information, put our trust and faith and live our life based upon the information. And then the last part, which kind of gets kind of lost, I think, but I've really appreciated the time we spent here in, in the last part, the last 15 through 24 in chapter 6. This is, well, what does that life look like? And Paul tries to put it in human terms, as he says. And the human terms are about slavery uh, you know, and freedom and that contrast. And the verse I chose here was in, and we'll cover this today, verse 22. And this is from the Weiss translation. But now, having been set free from the sinful nature and having been made bondservants to God, you are having your fruit. So there's fruit from that. You're having your fruit resulting in holiness or sanctification. And the consummation is life eternal. So just a, a marvelous, we have this marvelous book. And this last part is about putting it more in shoe leather and to seeing what that means. And, and the fruit is living out your life in Christ. Fruit as you walk by faith in Jesus Christ. 
Okay, so now I'm going to, that's one overview of the entire book. So now let's kind of zoom in and look at our, look in 17 through 22, this last section of that. And this is from Macaulay again. This is kind of his breakdown of that. And so what he's done, he, he looks at, at this in three sections, three things that have tra- happened in the believer's life. He calls them transformations. So the first one is, we're back to the slavery and freedom thing, the, the believer's relationships. You change from a, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were a slave to sin, but, but you, that was exchanged, if you will, for slavery to Jesus Christ. And you were free from righteousness, but now you're a slave to righteousness. So the, all these contrasts show up. And then the middle part, we, last week we covered 19 and 20. The believer's conduct and the idea of presenting yourself, that everyone is, in a sense, presenting themselves or interfacing themselves with either their sinful nature or with, or with God's nature. This is a term of a believer, one of two places. And then lastly, today we're going to talk about the benefits or the fruit of that, this transformation in terms of, of benefits for the believer. Our fruit is fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so let's look at the, we'll go back and review uh, 19 here a little bit. So he says, I'm speaking in human terms. This is, this is a term he uses, and I, I like that. He's speaking, he's trying to put it so we can understand it better. And it's, he's continually, continuous, present tense, continuous action. And it's the manner of man, or the custom of man, the nature of man is what he's talking about. The wee springs that are across us, I'm using an illustration drawn from human affairs. And so I'm speaking in in human terms because of, the reason he's doing this is because of the weakness of your flesh. He says that your flesh is weak, and it is, um, because of, um, that's the reason he's using this language, and weakness here is frailty or uh, general inability um, of the of the flesh or sinful nature, you know, and we see that uh, based upon you know two questions that were asked and we covered them earlier, that were asked earlier in in chapter six. You know, the first question which seems, you know, are we to continue in sin, that grace may increase? That kind of indicates the, uh, um, uh, you know, that's a question that you know, why would you say that? Are, will we continue in sin? How, and, and of course, Paul's response is, may it never be. How? You know, God forbid. And the second question was in verse 15. uh, Shall we sin? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And he says again, he says, God forbid or may it never be. So he wants to speak in terms we'll understand. So so that's the beginning of verse 19. And then the middle part of 19, he sets up this contrast between, he says, for just as, and then he's going to answer that just as with so now. So just as one thing, so now another thing. So he's going to play, you know, have that kind of contrast going on. So first of all, for just as you presented, notice the idea is this is looking back in the past, you presented before your believer, you presented um, to set before or yield or exhibit. And this is uh, Eris, so it's, a, it's an event. As an unbeliever, you did this. Uh, you presented your members. And the members are your hands and your feet and even your tongue. 
So your members were involved in your lifestyle, if you will. And, and we see that, right? We see their, the members of our body carry out what we, what we think and what we believe. Our hands and feet and tongue carry that out, right? If, if we, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious. We, we do that because that's just how we express who we are. So, so, and, and this is going to be a negative sense. He's going to say, this is, this is where you were at as an unbeliever. You were, you were slaves to impurity. And then he defines impurity as this idea of moral uncleanness, lewdness, unrestrained, unrestrainedness. I'm not sure that's even a word, but anyway, uh, unrestrained. And boy, that doesn't characterize our world today. It just seems like we're all, we're spinning, we're spinning out of control in that area. We're just one uncleanness and one lewdness after another. Un- lewd- it just keeps going. It never seems to stop. Man's fallen nature just thinks of another whole, just think of the whole uh, gender identity thing. It's just spun out of control. That's, you know, it's just totally spun out of control. Some people will say, well, that's wonderful. You know, the unbeliever think, well, that's wonderful. We're being so tolerant. Well, God says, no, you're not. I know. That's not tolerance. That's, that's you know, that's insanity. Anyway, and, and basically he, he defines this impurity, this lewdness, it's one of the, what he calls the deeds of the flesh in Galatians. So this is the deeds of our sinful nature from Adam. And he has a list, and the list starts off immorality, and then we have our word here, impurity, sensuality, and it goes on. So that's, impurity is one of those deeds of the flesh. And then it doesn't stop there. You go from impurity, you were slaves to impurity, and then you move on to another downward step to lawlessness. And lawlessness here is, Basically, the negative of law, uh, and it means basically you're violating the law. You're violating God's law, man's law. That's what, that's what the sinful nature is about. But it doesn't stop there. This is a downward spiral or a downward trend, if you will. You go from uh, slaves to impurity to lawlessness, and then you go resulting in further lawlessness. So, so you think, wow... <laughs> And, 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 and we see that. We see exactly that today. I mean, to my mind, this is the most revealing time, at least in my lifetime, of how bad off man is. I don't know, I don't know any other way to put it. Um, so, <clears throat> in the life of an unbeliever, you went from one depth of sin to another depth of sin. And a verse that speaks to that, everyone who practices sin also practice, practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So we go from impurity to lawlessness to more lawlessness. So that's the, that's the unbeliever. That's the man. And the man can, you know, and man thinks he's pretty good. Man thinks he's, man outside of Christ thinks he's doing a pretty good job. I'm being so tolerant. I'm being so loving. But he doesn't, you know, He's not. He's off on this downward spiral. So Paul's going to contrast it. He says, this is where you came from. This is where the unbeliever came from. This is where you came from. He says, so now, so now in contrast, you did present your members to all these bad things, if you will, all these lewd and immoral things. You present, aorist tense, this is something the believer is to do. You present, uh, and this is God's will, imperative mode, and you do it, you present, you present your members, these are the same members that, that were into bad things, if you will, can be used for God's glory, for good things, to righteousness. And so, as I mentioned last week, 
How do we do that? Well, to me, it seems this is what the Christian life is about. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your desire is to present your, your hands, your feet, your mouth for the Lord Jesus Christ. You present it, and several verses that talk about that are like, Walk in the light as He is in the light. Abide in me as I abide in you. And there's, So there's just a whole litany, if you will, of things that the believer, how he is to walk uh, in the Spirit, in Christ, and that's to, that's to involve his members. And it's the same members can now be used for righteousness. So that's Paul's contrast. You came from from this uh, where you were as an unbeliever. Now you can now you can walk in righteousness with the same members. And this and then the result of that is, and so this is this is a chain reaction to our chain uh, going on here, resulting in sanctification. So this is an increasing and deepening progression. And we know in Scripture that we're ta- it talks about the fact that we're to grow. We're to grow in grace and the knowledge of Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so in sanctification, that's the middle part. You know, if you, you look at the picture that many have presented, Ron Merriam presented it, phase one, phase two, phase three of salvation. In this middle part, this is a part of our entire Christian life, sanctification. We're being delivered from the power of sin. That's what it's all about. Sanctification. It's a big word. But it, has a, but it has a very precise meaning. We're being delivered from the power of sin to the righteousness of God. That's what sanctification is about. And that's what God desires us to be doing in our lives. And it's to be His life, not our life. Okay, so that's 19. So that's from last week. That's review. Uh, so today's verses. And I found that 20, I mentioned last week, 20. I kind of asked you last week, is 20 a good thing or a bad thing? And Jim actually... Uh, picked up on it, you know, it, it's stating a, a bad thing. It's something that you, you, you scratch your head at first and you read verse 20. 20 says, when you, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. And you say, hmm, what does that mean? What does that mean? And then he goes into a therefore and a but now. You know, you notice Paul's always doing, it was this, but now it's that, and that he does exactly that. So he's going to start off with this premise in 20. He's going to say, once again, we're looking back to before you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You were slaves of sin, and he says that you're free with regards to righteousness. So let, we'll think about that. We'll look through that again. Okay. So here we go. For when you were slaves of sin, or actually the article's there, you were slaves of the sin nature. So he's speaking of the believer's past life. And he's talking about a state of being. You, Amy, you, you existed in this state of being as an unbeliever. You continually existed there. And it has this, unused, this tense that's not used too much in the Greek. It's called the imperfect tense. So it's continuous action in past time. So you continually were acting as a slave. You didn't pretend to be a slave. You were a slave. And that's, and that's one of the key things, you know. People think, I'm, I'm so free. I'm I'm a I'm a whatever <laughs> I'm this I'm that I'm I'm this ism I'm that ism I I do this I do that I'm so free I can do whatever I want. Well, the thing is, yes, you're free, but you're free of righteousness. You're free of God's righteousness, but you're and you're a slave to sin. That's what that, this is what the verse is saying. I'm so free. I'm so free. I'm free of everything that's right. Is basically what you're saying, which is pretty sad. <clears throat> so the believer. 
um, the believer was then, at time and past, he was a doulos, or slave, to his sin nature. So it says, For when you were a slave to the sin nature, you were free in regards to righteousness. And it uses the same verb tense, so continuous action and past time, the same verb. It says, now it's good to define free properly here. Freedom from restraint and obligation. Or better maybe, in this case, you had no relation to it. So you can say, you were free with respect. You had no relationship to righteousness. And by implication, that's God's righteousness. You had no, you were free of God's righteousness. Well, if you're free of God's righteousness, whose righteousness do you have? Well, there's only another, only one of the possibility. That's man's righteousness. And here's what God has to say about man's righteousness. It's not pretty. He doesn't, doesn't sugarcoat it here. He doesn't say, oh, you, you do pretty good sometimes. Yeah, I'll give you a, a D minus sometimes. No, he gives you an F every time. He says, and all our righteousness, and, and all righteousness are like filthy rags. And this is Isaiah speaking of, of a man's righteousness. And all our righteousness is like filthy rags. So, so God doesn't, God doesn't, uh, give you a passing grade, if you will. Our righteousness, uh, cannot, um, uh, you know, it's not anywhere equivalent to God's right. Can never be equivalent to God's righteousness. So, so that that's kind of the, the the starting point for verse twenty. You were slaves of sin, and you were free from God's righteousness. Okay. So now he's going to start this contrast again. Therefore, therefore, based upon the fact that you you lack God's righteousness, uh, you're free of it. From verse twenty. That's, that's where he starts with 21. What fruit had you then? So he says, you look back to that, you were free of God's righteousness. Well, what kind of fruit or what kind of benefit or what, what good was that? And he's going to build a case. It wasn't any good, basically. Fruit, fruit can, be, uh, trans, can be thought of or translated several different ways. Uh, on a fruit tree, you can have fruit from a fruit tree. That's good. You can have fruit in the sense of works or deeds, and we call that the fruit of the Spirit. You're also going to have fruit for, of advantage or profit. So I'm thinking he's kind of focused here on the fruit of the Spirit or deeds. Uh, when, it's, when it's in terms of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's fruit of the Spirit. Or in other cases, it could, be, it could be man's own works or his own deeds. He said, <clears throat> uh, what fruit had you? Had you is another imperfect tense. Uh, you were continually having no fruit. So he says, therefore, based upon the fact that you were slaves of sin, you were continually having no fruit. You couldn't produce fruit because you didn't have God's nature uh, at that time. So, so summing that up, therefore, when you, when you were a slave of the sin nature, you were disconnected from God's righteousness with no fruit. So I think that's kind of that's where he's at in that first, that first question of 21. Therefore, what fruit had you? He asks us a question. You had no fruit. And he goes on. Over which things you now are ashamed. So this moves into a section. You know, I, and I, I struggle a little bit with the idea of being ashamed. Because I, you know, I think of the, the verses that talk about being ashamed. But I, but I, so see, see what you think here. Over which things you are now ashamed. 
Okay, the things here in the context, we'll go back to this idea of this false fruit, this fruit that doesn't, human righteousness fruit, if you will. There's no benefit in that for eternity. There's no benefit, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't um, advance you to know God better. It just puffs you up, if you will. So the things now, uh, right now in the present time, um, in contrast to the past, you are now ashamed to bring to shame. And it's actually present, indicative, middle. So it seems like this, this idea of being ashamed is to kind of give you a reflection back on where you were as an unbeliever. I was there. Uh, and so the question comes up, why, why is he ashamed now? So I, I struggle with this. And I thought about, you know, what came to mind um, was Zacchaeus. We all, this, you know, everybody knows the story of Zacchaeus, right? The guy that went up in the tree, right, to see the Lord Jesus. To see, he ran up in the tree and he looked, and he was a short little guy like me. He couldn't couldn't look over the crowd, so he ran up to the tree and he, he saw Jesus, right? And then eventually he says, it doesn't say much about how he. We would say, how did he become a believer? How did Zacchaeus become a believer? We don't aren't told much, but at some point he said, Lord, come to my house, come to my house. And when he comes to his house, then we get some more insight into Zacchaeus. So let me just read you. Once he says, um, uh, and he said, and he came down from the tree and he received him gladly. And Zacchaeus, okay, talk. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, this is when they were in the house. He says, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if any... If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And then the Lord says, Today salvation has come to your house, because he too is a son of Abraham. So, we're not told exactly how, but we know that there was a change in Zacchaeus' life. And it seems like, and I think that's true maybe of all of us, if we were older in life and we came to the Lord, we see things in our past life that we're ashamed of. And Zacchaeus said, I want to rectify those. And he did, right? He rectified all his things of the past. So I kind of think that's the sense here that we see this. We're ashamed. We're ashamed of things that we did in the past. Uh, so, so that's my, my kind of take on that. And then I actually had one, one other thought. And this is from um, Newell. Newell said there's kind of an interesting contrast here. Let me just read what Newell has to say. He says, there seems to be a grave but cutting irony. He calls it an irony. In this, allusion to the old condition, the old life, when the only freedom that they knew in respect to righteousness, that's the only freedom they had. They had no righteousness. They were slaves of sin, had nothing to do with righteousness. Kind of an irony there is that the only freedom that man has outside of Christ is that they're free, they're absolutely free of God's righteousness. That, that is kind of an irony. So you can you can say to your you know <laughs> I don't know what you say. brother <laughs> if you don't know the Lord <laughs> I don't care what you th- how good you think you're doing you're not doing you're not doing God's righteousness that's for sure all right so let's go on for the last part of the verse <clears throat> for the result of these things so actually and, he, and here's the here's kind of the 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 bottom line of that so so what are the results of man's man's fruits man's efforts. What good are they? And it's a pretty sad situation. For the result of these things is death. Result means um, ultimate, uh, the final lot, ultimate fate, result. 
of the things that we were now ashamed of. They were not of God's righteousness. Is death. Remember the core idea of death is separation. Think of that in terms of, of what, what God is about. Death, really, we're, we're separated. We're separated in so many dimensions. But the key part is that we're separated from anything that has to do with God's righteousness. So Macaulay had a couple of points here I liked. Uh, there is no fruit in sin. You can, and he's speaking of spiritual fruit or, or fruit for God's glory. Certainly, there's, there's no fruit in sin. Sin has only one product, death. And death, separation from God. That's what death is. You're separated from God. That's the worst part of, of death, is being separated from God. Men don't think that. They want to be, I want to just be annihilated. That's, that's their idea. I'll be annihilated and then I'll have to worry about anything. Well, no, that option isn't on the table. Every man will live eternally, either with God or without God. And that's the worst thing that can happen, living without God in separation from God. And the last statement here, in past times, this is what this verse is, in past times you were totally occupied, occupied with death. That's what, that's what the, the, the reality of what he's talking, you were totally occupied with death. Now you can be totally occupied with life. And actually we see that, <clears throat> Ephesians talks about that a lot. Uh, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that makes a contrast, it gives you the good news. But that's where you came from, you came from death. You came from separation from God to life in God. Okay. Now here's, the, here's this contrast. So we heard the, the bad news, if you will. Now we have the but now. You know, it was therefore you had these, these things happen, but now, here's the good news. But now in contrast to the things that you were ashamed, having been freed, to make free, to be delivered from sin... And this is something that, that happened to you that, that you, uh, that God did for you. An event. This is your salvation. This is the event of salvation in a believer's life. Uh, and that wonderful verse. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. God the Son has made, made you free when you believe the gospel. And again, just the, you know, the gospel. So what's the gospel? We can, everybody should be able to repeat this. What I like, I like what Macaulay did. I'll just tell you my, this is my four, four statement gospel presentation. There are four verbs in the gospel. God died, God buried, God was raised, God was seen. God died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And, and men saw him. That's the gospel. It, it's it's a simple statement. Kids can kids can gra- grasp that. In fact, it's so simple that Paul had to say, "I'm not ashamed of it." He's not ashamed of that. But it's it's a power of God unto salvation. That's what that's what changes a man <clears throat> from death to life. Okay, but now having been freed from the sin nature, the sin nature. Actually, I did a little tally. This is my count. I may hopefully have, have it right. Uh, I didn't. I was going to count. I counted it from the New American Standard. And I was going to go back and count it from the Weiss to make sure I had it right. So I didn't do that. So if you think I'm in error by a one or so, let me know. I count 16 times he talks about. It's translated most times the sin or just just sin singular, and we'll see here in just a second or part of it. Uh, the sin. 16 times he mentions the sin nature in, in chapter six. 
And then another good count to make is how many times does he talk about being freed from sin or, or died to sin or dead to sin? So this is all about we, we've been freed from sin, having been freed from sin. So here's, here's the six occurrences. 6.2, may it never be, how shall we who died to sin, to the sin nature, still live in it? For he who died is freed from sin, is freed from the sin nature. Romans 6.10, for the death that he died, he died to sin, the sin nature, once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Isn't it just remarkable, this Romans 6 is just, every verse is about this freedom what Christ has done to free us from our sin nature. Is sin a problem? It's a terrible problem. It's the biggest problem. What's the, what's the big problem in the world? What's the biggest problem? Oh, it's, you know, it's this, it's that. It's, you know, they, hundreds of thoughts. The problem is sin is the big problem. That's, and, you know, chapter 6 tells you that in stereo. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.18 Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now we get into that the section we're in now. And then the verse we're just covering right now, the, the, two, the first statement, but now having been freed from sin. Okay. So, so, that, so that's the first part. Okay. So, so we, now having been freed from sin, and the second part of that is enslaved to God. It comes with the territory. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'm freed from sin, and now I'm enslaved to God. God didn't leave. There's no middle ground. He didn't leave you. Well, I get to be in this, this uh, period where I have nothing. I'm neither one or the other. No, 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 no. No. When you're freed from sin, you're now, God, by his grace, has enslaved you to himself. Enslaved here, you could put the verb in there, ha- having been enslaved. Again, it's eris, it's eris passive here. Enslaved to God. Uh, I was gonna, so what I'm going to do here is just briefly show you again. <clears throat> here's the cases where how many times he talks about slavery in these uh, 16 through 22. I'm just going to read the slavery. Um, we're slaves for obedience. Uh, let, me, let me just read it. <clears throat> or do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves to, for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Then down in 17 it says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient, and so on. Then in 18 it says, You became slaves of righteousness. So constantly through all this, as we've seen, he's contrasting slaves of sin, slaves of obedience, slaves of righteousness. And then 19 is just jam-packed. Presenting our body as slaves of impurity, to lawlessness, like we've talked about. Then the last part is slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed from uh, right, uh, in regards to righteousness. And then the verse we're covering, uh, we're enslaved to God. Okay. So now, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefits resulting in salvation. So I liked... Uh, I thought it was better to use the interlinear version just because they use the word fruit. And I think benefits kind of uh, seemed a little nebulous to me. <clears throat> you, have, you have the fruits. You have the fruits. A little bit hard to read, though, unfortunately. You have the fruit. And I want to make sure you got the 
different article. You have the fruit of you resulting in sanctification. You have, uh, this is something you possess, you have it continuously. The fruit of you. And I thought it was said the fruit of you. And it has a definite article. I thought of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, etc. You have the fruit of you. Since you are having the fruit, the, the fruit of the Spirit, you must be walking by the Spirit. And it says in Galatians 6, um, 5.16, But now I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So you have the, you have the, the, the fruit of you resulting in or unto sanctification. And again, sanctification is, is separation from the sin nature. Uh, separation from the power of the sin nature, excuse me. And I kind of saw a contrast here. In this verse, it talks about having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. Uh, that's a positional statement, right? And then in Romans 6.11, which we saw earlier, kind of says, based upon that, we're to consider ourselves to be dead from sin and alive to God. So you have the position... And you're counting on that position in 6.11. Okay. And the outcome, the marvelous outcome, the result of that is eternal life. And the, so, it, you know, the result is the idea of the end, the, um, the, final, the final lot, the ultimate fate, eternal life. So this is the climactic outcome for all believers. This is what God has promised that we will have. And, and it... Eternal life starts now. If you look in John, you, you, for the believer, it starts now. I, this this, foam, this uh, verse in uh, Romans five twenty one kind of sums it up here. So that <clears throat> as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so. All I have is one verse for final thoughts, and actually Mike's going to do it next week. We're going to finally wrap up chapter 6 of, of Romans. We're still kind of thinking about how we're going to go here, but I, I think we're... <laughs> Mike and I are going to talk on Tuesday here. But he's going to cover this verse, plus others. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, for the wages of sin, the just payment for sin is basically, remember death is is separation from God, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's close. We thank you, Father. We thank you so much for our time, Lord. Thank you for the the marvelous truths you have in in, um, chapter 6 of Romans, Lord. We thank you for that that you've given us to show us uh, the awfulness of sin, the power that sin has over us, the power it controls in us, how man constantly sin is so awful is that he thinks man thinks he's okay outside of Christ. He thinks he's fine. He thinks he's good. He's upset with people that tell him about Christ. But we pray that your Spirit would <clears throat> convince men and women of their need for the Savior, and they put their faith and trust in Him. We ask it in His name. Amen.